When we gathered to celebrate the life and grieve the loss of my godfather recently, I got to meet some of my very young cousins in person for the very first time. My godfather was my mother's first cousin. And so in addition to being my godfather, he was also like an uncle to me. And as I gathered with his wife, his children, and his grandchildren the night before the funeral, I googled a diagram, a cousin's tree, that displayed cousin relationships because I had never really taken the time to understand the differences between a first cousin, second cousin, third cousin twice removed, all that stuff. So the chart I found on Google laid it all out beautifully. Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. So thanks to that cousin's tree diagram I found on Google, I figured out that a child of my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, would be my first cousin once removed, and that was my godfather. So as children, the cousins of my approximate generation are my second cousins, and their children are my second cousins once removed. All we really were around the table that night was family, but I was curious about all those cousin relationships, so nothing like Google to help figure it out. I'm about... 15 years or so older than my second cousins, and their children are still pretty young. Three of them, all girls between the ages of about 9 and 12, I think, were at the table with us at dinner. And I have a reputation for being a bit silly. I tend to get gifted a lot with coffee mugs and t-shirts that refer in some way to dad jokes. So my three very young second cousins once removed, the three young girls and I, we laughed a lot. They told me some really silly jokes about elephants and giraffes in refrigerators. If I could remember them, I'd tell them to you. And I quizzed them by way of setting up my favorite three dad jokes because the best dad jokes always come in threes. And after making sure that they were aware of the legend of King Arthur, which they were, we were off to the races. The first one, who was the head knight of the round table? They didn't know. The answer, the head knight of the round table, is circumference. Which knight of the round table never won a fight? That would be surrender. And which knight, by the way, I laugh at my own jokes, and which knight of the round table was assigned to be King Arthur's spy? That would be surveillance. See, I'm hilarious. And we laughed and got carried away probably more than their parents would have really liked. I think that that's part of the function of gathering when we lose a loved one, especially their beloved Pop-Pop, their grandfather, my godfather. We get together. We grieve. We mourn. We shed tears. We share stories and remembrances. And we also dare to laugh. Not to cancel out or minimize our grief, but as a way to practice what will exist in our hearts again at some point yet to come, as a way to bring our hope for future continued joy into the present moment. Humor can be an act of joyful defiance. A release of tension during difficult times, laughing together forms and deepens our bonds with one another. At other times, it can put things in perspective when whatever those things are got larger in our emotional brains than they deserve to be. And humor can also function as satire, poking fun at social and political institutions that have great power over us and that can be experienced by us as very impersonal. Satirical humor can release societal tension. I think that's why The Tonight Show, The Late Show, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Saturday Night Live, The Daily Show, 
all continue to exist in the U.S., they serve a much-needed function, sometimes satirical, sometimes with a discernible point of view, sometimes not. And often, those kind of programs help us to laugh, most of all, at ourselves. In the Middle Ages, wise monarchs employed court jesters because they knew that their presence would diffuse tension and serve as an outlet for all those around them. And even the church, when there was more or less one church, the church, in the Middle Ages, the church held local festivals to ring in the new year each year on January 1st. It was called the Feast of Fools. And during the Feast of Fools, a substitute bishop or substitute archbishop or substitute pope would be chosen for the day, and the church would be the object of parody, humor, satire. The church wielded so much power over people's lives, and the church and the kings and queens with court jesters seem to innately understand this principle that the first thing that tyrants do is eliminate any possibility of humor in relation to themselves. So by permitting jesters and these Feast of Fools festivals, kings and queens and even the church were resisting the possibility and the tendency to become tyrants. Think about it. Think about those over the course of history or who currently or in the not distant past have behaved like tyrants. As you do, you may recall that they had or have very thin skins, easily take offense, easily insulted. In the U.S. where I live, one of our Feast of Fools traditions is a thing called the White House Correspondence Dinner, in which those who possess or aspire to political power are poked fun at unmercifully, and it's usually very, very funny. It was considered good fun until that day came that a presidential candidate, one who made his own living ridiculing others, took an incredible amount of offense when the satire spotlight fell on him, and his bitterness over the perceived slights of that moment seemed to know no end. The first thing that tyrants do is eliminate any possibility of humor in relation to themselves. But this isn't a politics podcast, so back to religion, back to church and spirituality. Christianity, church, has the same problem that the monarchs of the past and the politically powerful of today had and have. Christianity in the West, especially in the U.S., is not under persecution. Not hardly. Especially white, male-dominated U.S. Christianity wields great power, which has been amped up lately by cozying right up to political power in a phenomenon called Christian nationalism. And that constellation of religious and political power has no sense of humor. None. Starbucks can't even print seasonal holiday coffee cups each winter without having to brace itself for the onslaught of outcry that the symbols on the cups aren't Christian enough or worse, that they're somehow satanic. Two of my favorite social media accounts to follow are one on Facebook that's just called God, whose tagline is, God is a comedian playing to an audience that is too afraid to laugh. And then there's one on Twitter called the Tweet of God. The Tweet of God deity even lists their pronouns as thee, thy. And that's hilarious. The Facebook God account has 3.8 million followers, and the Tweet of God account 
has 6.2 million followers. And the tweet of God, God on Twitter tweeted the other day, if anything happens to my Twitter account, I want you always to remember how little I cared about any of you. I'm sorry, but that's funny. The funniest part, though, of both accounts is the head-on-fire rants by those who are insulted, offended by what these two social media deities post. Both gods are really good at winding up humorless Christians, and there are a lot, a lot of humorless, thin-skinned, easily offended, grudge-carrying Christians out there in the social media world. I'm sorry, there just are. They make it seem more like anti-social media. It's as if Jesus had actually said, I have come so that you can have intense anger and have intense anger abundantly. Turning the other cheek doesn't even seem to hit the radar screen for many of these angry people. So because the most important podcast ideas are like dad jokes, they come in threes, I want to say this one thing one more time. The first thing that tyrants do is eliminate any possibility of humor in relation to themselves. And every time Christians of any stripe get our heavenly undies in a bunch because someone has had fun at our expense, made fun of us, kindly or not, Christians individually and as groups tend to function as tyrants. And who wants a tyrannical religion? Even the Church of the Middle Ages, before we allegedly progressed, even the Church of the Middle Ages understood that God created laughter. So the next time you see religion, especially Christianity, because it's the one with power in the Western world, the next time you see Christianity being made fun of, don't get nervous, don't get angry, whether it's on social media or a Bill Maher mockumentary or a classic Monty Python movie, whatever it is, just remember, God created laughter. And if God is really God, God can take it. And not only can God take it, I like to think that she's laughing too. Stay in touch. Bruce at brucecole.tv. Remember you are loved. <laughs>